Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Seven Mile. God's got great things in store for us today. I feel like if we keep going the direction that we're going, we're just going to have revival here in Gardendale. It's just getting good and good and good. Listen, I was reminded this morning of Mark chapter 10. Blind Bartimaeus. He was hungry. No, this guy was hungry for a touch from God. I have two rules for my message this morning. No, this isn't school. This is church. I still have two rules. You ready? Number one, as God's word goes out today, you get as hungry as you possibly can. Not because I'm preaching, but because he's good. And just like the Revival Mobile, where the worship in the stands was so loud that the musicians couldn't even hear their instruments, I pray that your hunger becomes so loud today that I can't even preach this message. Rule number one. Let me give you a verse to kind of help context this. Isaiah 66.2. God says, I will look favorably on this kind of person. One who is humble, submissive in spirit, and who trembles at my word. He is so good to us that if we would just humble ourselves, submit ourselves to a God that that's, who's that loving, and allow our hearts to tremble at his very word. It's good. So rule number two is that if the Holy Spirit has a message for you this morning, please disregard anything and everything that I say, and by all means, listen to him before you ever listen to me. Because he's way better of a preacher than I am. Every single time. Let's dive in this morning. Is that good? Well, I went to Bible college. Had some fun there, challenging teachers. Learn the Word of God. We had chapel service every single week. And so chapel service was pretty good, but I only remember one, and one in particular. I can't remember the songs that were sung, but I remember this minister who came in. He was a youth minister. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It's just that vivid to me. He said, guys, listen, we want to spiritually grade ourselves this morning. I'm thinking, okay, this is about to get really interesting up in chapel. He said, listen, and he took the whiteboard behind him and got that black magic marker, and over here, he put a dot. He said, this is just one pole in your Christian walk. And he ran over to the other side, and he put a dot on the other side. And he drew a line. I could still hear the sound of that marker going across that board. He drew a line between those two poles. He said, on this side is that person who's on their phone in service. On this side is the person who's disregarding God. He's cold. But on this other side, this guy's on fire for Jesus. Like he's like a soldier for Christ. You ever seen a soldier before? I was in the military, okay? Shoes so shiny, not like mine today. Shoes so shiny you can see your reflection in them. They're up all night long. I've been there. 
with a cotton ball, shining them. They have a seam in their pants and in their shirt that's so sharp it's almost like they can shave with it. When the commander comes in, there's a salute as crisp as crisp can be. And he's waiting for every order. He will carry it out to the best of his ability. And if he lacks something, he'll go to his superiors and say, help me understand how I missed it. And failure is only an opportunity to succeed the next time. A soldier in Christ. He said, hey guys, I need some courage today. Tell me where you're at on this spectrum. This guy over here who's just cold to the things of God, and this guy over here who says yes to Jesus every single time. He said, where do you find yourself on this spectrum? And there's always one in the crowd who's trying to get last from his friend. Well, I'm as cold as cold can be, okay? And so, all right, sure. So the youth minister goes up there. He's like, okay. The guy trying to get his laugh from his friends, I'm going to put him on this side. Anybody else? Come on. We need some courage this morning. Tell me where you're at. You ever asked your wife that? I have. It's always at night when she's trying to go to sleep, though. So, Hey, sweetheart, where are we at? On a scale from 1 to 10. Help me know. Help me know where I can serve you better. Love you more. Help me know. So you got the courage of the people, and of course there's marks all over the board. By the time he got all these marks up there and chapel was passing through, he said, okay, guys, let's get in God's word this morning. He goes to Revelations chapter 3 and smacks us all in the face. You ready? Revelations chapter 3. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you were lukewarm, you have found yourself in the middle of those two poles. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, God says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Why? Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. This richness is not about a dollar bill. It's about self-sufficiency. They got to the point where it wasn't a dependency on God. It was a dependency on themselves. I think Red actually preached half of my message this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Red. <laughs> but we find ourselves straddling the fence between no to God and yes to God. Somewhere in the middle. You know the most unsafest place on a highway? Somewhere in the middle. If you're on one side or you're on another, you're okay. You're going in one direction or another. But if you find yourself somewhere in the middle, it's the most dangerous place you could ever be. And God Almighty, who's radically in love with us, knows that all too well. That if we find ourselves somewhere in this middle, it is the most dangerous place any of us could ever be. Why? Well, people have used this scripture verse many times to challenge believers. And I believe that we all need to be challenged, to include me. I'll be first in line. 
but somehow to scare them into loving God. We can't scare people into loving God. We're not robots. Our love is given freely and from a will that says yes to him. But Jesus is trying to teach us a lesson here, a radical lesson, so much so that he's calling this church out. Hey, guys, wake up. You're somewhere in the middle. It's dangerous. It's so dangerous, I have to vomit you out so that way you don't continually find yourself in this dangerous spot. What Jesus is teaching us here, and we're going to see it through Scripture this morning, is that love is always 100%. Love is always 100%. Think about it. The world entertains these ideas all the time, right? Hallmark, okay? I'm going to give you every single movie in a matter of 30 seconds. You ready? Don't recommend watching these, okay? Old girl, mm-hmm. Found a man, he ain't giving 100%. Goes back home because she's been in business, okay? Goes back home, finds another man who's going to give her 100%. Leaves first man, comes the second man, they kiss, movie ends, okay? <laughs> and they're making millions of dollars doing it, okay? This is every single movie in a nutshell. Why would people yearn for movies like that. Romance movies, romance novels. You know how much romance novels are worth? Billions of dollars. The world is always looking for people who will give 100%. Always. Find a motor company, a car company that will give 100% to production and reliability and everybody will buy it a clothing company, no matter what the situation is, find someone who's going to give 100% and people will follow them. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, guys, love is the same way. Love is 100%, 100% of the time. It's 100%. It's funny, I wrote down here that it's only comedies and dramas that demonstrate half-heartedness. So if you're looking for a life full of drama and something to laugh at, that's when you go half-hearted. So Jesus demonstrates through Scripture this idea that love is 100%. And it challenges the disciples to the core. And it should challenge me and challenge you to the core as well. So in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? This is where God has his rule, his reign, his control. So in a place where God is in control, this is what it looks like, Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes, he sells everything. And he buys that field. Amazing, Jesus. Demonstrating, a, again, love at a hundred percent. Let's look at it again. Matthew chapter 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found the one pearl of great price, he went, he sold all, and he bought it. Maybe this message is hard this morning. 
I would rather preach the truth and see you set free than continue to not receive the things that you are believing for in God and miss the incredible blessings for you and your family, for our towns and our nation. Because there's a world that continually watches the church. And if we're half in, half out, they're going to continue to mock us and ridicule us simply because we don't have the power and walk in the power to see freedom. We tell them of a Jesus who can completely set people free only to not be completely free ourselves. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and it doesn't come in percentages. It is 100%. The world needs a church. The world needs a people. The world needs people like me and you who will say yes to God and be that soldier in Christ who will snap to attention no matter what he asks and say, yes, God, yes, I will do it every single time. And if you miss it, you will dust yourself off and say failure is just a reason for me to get it right the next time. Jesus was hard with these things because he's trying to demonstrate a kingdom that we're not used to thinking like. He comes across a man, and this man in Luke 9, 62, just wants to go home. This is the context of the scripture. All he wants to do is go home and say goodbye to his family before he follows Jesus. Think about that. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I don't think you get this kingdom thing. It is 100%. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Again, this guy just wants to go home and say goodbye to his wife, his kids, his mom, his dad. And Jesus said, you don't understand. This kingdom thing is always 100%. You've got to get it. Can we trust God enough to take care of our families? Can we trust God enough to take care of our businesses? Can we trust God enough to take care of our marriages so that we can say yes to a God who's calling us? That we will put our hands to this plow and never look back. That's what I do with my wife. I don't look around. I got my hands to this plow. I don't look back on back relationships or what I did in high school. I got my hand on a plow in my marriage and I'm going forward. I don't have time to look around. Likewise, spiritually, we do not have time to look around, to look back. No. No. In the kingdom of God, there's only forward. In the kingdom of God, there is 100% going forward. This Bible is 100% relational in everything that we read. And God's continuously trying to help us understand what this relationship looks like. Love is 100%. So I want to give you three ways in which we can break free this morning from the middle. I want to give you three ways this morning that you can break free from the middle. You ready? Number one. Raise a standard. Raise a standard, church. This is what God's word says. Isaiah 59, 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west 
and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. How many failing businesses, the first thing they do to make it right is raise up a standard? How many failing marriages, the first thing that you do is raise up a standard? How many times do we have a difficulty with our kids and the first thing we do is raise up a standard? It reminds me when we bought our house. Okay, so we were missionaries for 12 years. As missionaries, you don't make a whole lot of money. Amen. So you cherish what you have and use what you got. So we bought a $13,000 home. Okay? It needed some work. I mean, when you walked up to the door, we bought it, sight unseen, a guy checked it out for us while we are in Italy, signed documents while we are in Italy, right? Serving as missionaries. Get there, you could sneeze, and the front door would come down, okay? It was in bad shape. Every single window in the entire house was broken except for one. This was a wild place at one point, I guess. It was crazy. It was bad shape. So the guy in the basement, because he, he built some workshop or something like that down there, he decided, because it's only like a six and a half foot ceiling, okay? So it's not too tall. So he decided, hey, listen, I need to get in and out of this shop very easily. So what I'm going to do, see this big beam going down the center of this house? I'm going to cut it. <laughs> so in two places, he just notched big places out of it, so that way he could put his door in there and go in and out of his shop. So when we bought the house, and I get there, I'm like, this looks like a swimming pool on the inside. <laughs> it is dipping quite bad. So I had to get underneath the house, get some jacks, and start to crank this thing and lift it back up. I had to raise the standard. And in our lives, the devil comes in like a flood, and we have to get into the basement, the core of who we are, and we have to crank it back up, raise it back up, and lift the standard. Joshua lifted a standard. I love what he said. He took over from Moses in his leadership. Joshua 25, or excuse me, 24, 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites. There's a lot of stuff in the world to worship. In whose land you dwell, but as for me, and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What did Joshua do? He rose a standard for this house, for my wife, for my kids. We're going to serve the Lord. You raise a standard like that, and the devil cannot enter in. As much as he whines, cries, and fights at the door. Amen? Raising up a standard. Imagine Jesus. So Jesus comes to the earth, right? What is he seeing? The enemy had taken the earth like a flood from the politicians to the religious leaders. And he had infiltrated everything. So much so that even Jesus talking with these religious leaders, they're like, oh, you don't understand. Our dad's Abraham. Jesus is like, uh, no, I'm sorry. Not Abraham. You missed it. Okay, let's B. So I didn't get A. Let's do B. Uh, our, 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 our dad is God, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you don't get it. Your father isn't even God. 
you're actually serving the devil himself and you don't even realize it. The devil that came in like a flood. Jesus came to hit reset. He came to hit reset. So in Matthew chapter 5, it's a great way that Jesus starts to hit this reset. He said, you heard that it was said to those, you shall not murder. So he's going to raise the standard. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother. So hold on. The standard was here. Jesus comes in where the enemy is active and raises the standard here. That you'll be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool. That's why at our house we do not call names. Shall be in danger of hellfire itself. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You've heard it said to those of old. So that was the standard. Let's raise another standard. You should not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman at lust has already committed adultery in his own heart. Raising a standard. God wants you and I to raise the standard. Question. What's the standard for your home? Where's the enemy coming in like a flood? Where's the standard? What's the standard? Will you be like Joshua in the midst of everyone else who is worshiping idols? I can imagine him singing that old song even though it didn't exist yet. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. He said, for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Raise up a standard. What's your standard for your, for your marriage, for your family? What's your standard for your own soul? Number two. Again, I'm trying to help this morning kind of pull us out of middle because the kingdom of God is 100%, 100% of the time. Number two is a hunger and thirst. I was listening to a worship song and then in between the worship songs, they have these free moments where they just start going after God. He said that God gave him a vision. And in this vision, he had his grandson with him. And his grandson asked him, Grandpa, Grandpa, can I go play? Sure, absolutely, go play. He goes to play, and he sees in this dream that he's having, somebody grab his grandson and take off running. He just starts booking it. This grandfather sees what's going on and starts chasing after him with all the strength that he could muster up in his soul. He finally catches the man in this dream, and the man turns and hands his grandson back to him. And immediately the Lord said to him, how quick and how fast and how desperate will you chase after me? If you would do that for your grandson, if you would chase that hard for him, how fast and how hard will you chase after me? Hunger and thirsting. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. This term hunger in the Greek means to crave, means to starve. The word picture in the Greek is like a man who's living day to day. We don't understand this in the States oftentimes. It's like taking a day's wage just to buy a handful of rice. 
He's starving. He's hungry. He's desperate. Oftentimes, we're afraid of this hunger. I feel like I'm preaching more than I'm helping right now. Let's go deeper. What would it look like if we got so hungry that after church service, when we went to lunch, revival happened in mugshots? We have to think like God thinks. What would happen if we got so hungry and so desperate for God that when we came in here to worship, the worship band couldn't even play because we're worshiping louder than our instruments and speakers could go? Hungry and thirsty. If we want to receive the things that God has for us, we have to live the way that God wants us to live. I have to be hungry and thirsty for the things of God. I love what it says in Psalm 119.20. It says, My soul breaks with longing for your judgment at all times. My soul breaks with longing. Let's go back to Isaiah 66.2. Let's unpack this even further. We started with it earlier. It said, for all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. Father, look on me. May he look on this church. May he look on this town and on this nation. Of him who is poor, who is humble, who is desperate for the things of God, who is contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. The word contrite means to be broken so deeply that you turn into powder. That's the word picture in the Hebrew. In other words, that your life would turn so broken that it would become powder, and when it's blown away, you look just like Jesus. That desperate. That hungry for the things of God. Number three. Cool little light switch. All of us have them at home. I have a concern coming back to the States. We get really passionate in worship and we turn the switch on. This one has multiple switches. We're going to use the top one. We turn that switch on. We go to lunch. We turn the switch off. Somehow, intimacy with God is not something that continues. It's just something that we visit. We have powerful times with God. That's really awesome, God. Now I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And God becomes a convenience like electricity does. And we learn how to turn church services on and off. We learn how to turn worship on and off. I taught our Italian church, worship does not start at 1030. It's been going on forever. We're just participating. Worship never stops. Because worship is bigger than a song. Worship is the meditation and how we steward our hearts. 
It's one thing I taught my wife when we first got married. I said, listen, the same experience you can have in the deepest worship service you've ever been in is the same experience you can have folding laundry. It depends where your heart is. The same experience you have at the biggest revival is the same experience you can have washing dishes. There are men of old, they would come to see them wash dishes just because the Spirit of God would fall in their kitchen. This isn't a pipe dream, church. This is the reality of the kingdom of God. We cannot prostitute, I'm going to use a harsh word, we cannot prostitute the presence of God with on and off living. It is 100%, 100% of the time. I cannot ward off the enemy. I cannot change the nation. I cannot change the town. I can't have a good marriage. I can't have a good kids. I can't live a holy life if I keep turning God on and off and using Him at my convenience. God does not allow us to prostitute Him that way. He is 100%, 100% of the time. And church, it's not in our own strength. It's not because we get our will all fired up on the inside. It's just saying yes, like a soldier in the army of the Lord. At his every beck and command, he will give you the strength. He will give you the vision. He will give you the insight. He will give you everything you need if you would just say yes. Just say yes. Yes to angels. Yes to revival. Yes to the glory of God. Yes. Yes to God using seven mile. And every beautiful face I'm staring at right now. To usher in his presence and his glory. Yes. I want to close with this. It's very easy to preach a sermon, guys. I'm trying to help you this morning live this thing out. Jar you from the middle. I've had to jar myself from the middle many times. Thinking that I'm on fire for God and I don't even realize that convenience and compromise has slipped into my life. And like Red said, I'm no one day with God or one moment and yes the next. I'm that light switch turning on and off. Not just trying to be all things to all men, but trying to be all men. We'll finish with this scripture verse. Love it. Incredible. May we tremble at God's word. 2 Chronicles 16, 7 through 9. 2 Chronicles 16, 7 through 9. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. You've done it in your own strength again, Israel. And he's going to remind them, Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. 
In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. God said it to me this way, many of us are fighting battles that we should never even be in. Because we fail to rely on a God who's desperately in love with us. And even though we beat our head against the door time and time again, we're still relying on our own strength versus relying on the one who can sustain us. God is desperately looking for a people whose eyes run to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone who says, God, you are priority. My heart is steadfast on you. God, I don't still sing pretty words. I'm in this thing 100%. I spoke on Wednesday night, and I'm going to say the same thing again. I am desperate and hungry for all that he wants to do, not just in my life, but in yours as well. Your freedom that you experience in God gives the next person beside you freedom as well. It gives them permission to say yes to God. Your worship and entering in and being passionate gives the person next to you in church the same opportunity, the same permission to be desperate and hungry for a God who's desperate and hungry for them as well. Church, may we find freedom, real freedom, and let that freedom transform every single person that we come in contact with. And by all means, jar yourself from the middle. That you would fast and pray. That you would seek God with your entire heart. And let Him use your life to transform others. Guys, I wasn't raised in church. I had no idea who Jesus was. I was 22 when I came to faith. And I found out that I work with Christians. I found out that I went to high school with Christians. And never once did anyone ever stop to share Jesus with me. Their lives didn't look any different than mine. So therefore, they had nothing they felt like that they could give to me. Changed people change the world. Changed people change people. Because we allow God to change us on the inside. May God use us to the depths of our souls that we would surrender all to a God who surrendered all to us and say yes to him every single time. He loves us, guys. And we can't be so selfish because he loves the one in their apartment today and he loves the one in their home and he loves the one about to commit suicide and then he loves the one living in shame and guilt and the devil's coming in like a flood and they need to see people who God has changed. Let's love, a love. Let's love a world well. Amen? You guys have a blessed day. I'm going to turn it over to Red. If I added anything to that, I'd just mess it up. That was good. And I asked Mark to speak to us this morning to bring the word um, because of his heart. We haven't been out golfing or hunting or fishing or spending time together. Uh, it was 
I, I quickly took a liking to him because of his heart. His heart reminds me of Sid's heart. Just pure and good and... Um, <clears throat> But that word was in season. And we're talking about seasons. I didn't study March notes. In fact, he texted me his scriptures. I copied and pasted them, sent them to Jackie, and that was it. The word's always good, but a word in season. It's a right time in your life. And that one was on time. When he held this switch up here, I was thinking about cutting on, cutting on when you come to church and cutting it off when you leave or cutting it on and then you're around a certain crowd and you cut it off you cut it on on Wednesday night and then you cut it off when you get to work and you're around a different crowd now here's what I was thinking when he was giving that example is when we cut that off we're always cutting something else on what are you cutting on you can't say the things you shouldn't be saying and like the things you shouldn't be liking and make posts you shouldn't be making on Facebook unless you cut that off. I shouldn't have said that, but they made me mad. So I just made that comment on Facebook or made that post. Well, before you made that post, you had to cut him off to cut that on. You might cut your computer on and look at garbage you shouldn't be looking at. Cut him off. Cut that garbage on. Praise the Lord. We've got to get him cut on and leave him on. You don't even need a switch. Just hardwire it. We, we worked on a house last week that had a wiring nightmare, and we run into those sometimes. And sometimes you do find things that are hardwired. There's not even a switch. It's just, it's just on. And then you end up getting electrocuted because you think it's off. Well, we just need to cut him on. It's just hardwired with about a 60-amp breaker. Amen. We announced that we we're going to baptize people next Sunday. And that, that sermon is just, it reminded me of John the Baptist. He's preparing a way of the Lord. That sermon prepared a way for next Sunday. Um, because when you do say, I commit my life to you, Jesus, not the religious Jesus, I'm not trying to, uh, make my granny happy, my mama happy, but I mean, I'm surrendering my life to you. The old has gone, and behold, the news come, and we're being baptized. Everything Mark just talked about it really sets us up for baptism. 
saying, hey, I'm ready to surrender. No more one leg in, one leg out, but I'm going to be baptized, and I want to follow Jesus and flip the switch on and leave it on. Amen? So if you want to be baptized next Sunday, we will do that. Just uh, bring you a towel, and if you forget to bring one, we'll have some extras. We'll make sure of that. And um, if you don't want to hang around for the baptism, you don't have to. We're going to have service, and then we'll have to move these drums out of the way and get things set up and get going. At that time, if you've got things to do, you can go. If you want to be baptized, stay and watch your family, friends be baptized. It won't take us 10 minutes to get it ready. Um, that's what we're going to do next week. I'm looking forward to it. And I'll say one last thing. I'm going to turn you loose. I, I raced, I've raced dirt bikes for a, a lot of years. And um, my riding buddy, his name was Tyler. Tyler Kyle, he, he, he comes here sometimes. And um, he was kind of my mentor at first. And I remember uh, I raced in the woods. We raced in the woods, so sometimes you go across a field or sometimes you go down a wide trail, but sometimes you, you come up on these trees that your handlebars will just barely, barely squeak by. And I would approach those trees really fast. And I would get to those trees and I would put the brakes on hard and get through them and then I'd go again. And Tyler stopped me and he said, um, I want to tell you what you're doing wrong here. He said, you're looking at those trees. Don't look at those trees. You got to look past those trees. Look past them. You'll see them with your peripheral vision. You'll know they're there. But you can't look at them. You got to look past them. So I said, okay. Instantly jumped to another level and got way faster because I quit looking at those trees. And what I'm telling you is in life, there's trees, there's things, there's distractions, there's hard times, there's tough seasons. We're not going to ignore them and pretend like they're not there. They don't exist. They're there, but we're looking past them because we're keeping our eye on Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. That whew, excites me. Keep your eye on him. Peter's on the water. The storm was there. He didn't have to look at it. He didn't have to act like it didn't exist or deny it. Sure, it's a storm, but why do I care? There's Jesus. I'm going to keep my eye on him. Amen? Praise the Lord.